And again, as Morgan's already welcomed you, uh, if you're a guest with us, it's good to have you. My name is Brian. Uh, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and, and uh, bringing you God's word today. And I would suspect in uh, a group this large, many of you uh, at this point in life would be familiar uh, or at least seen or heard of the show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Uh, where if you're unfamiliar, it's a, it's a show where they find a family whose situation, and, and more specifically, their physical home, is in desperate need. And so uh, they send the family off to Disney World for a week while host Ty Pennington, the show's designers, a local contractor, and frankly, an army of neighborhood and community volunteers completely make over this home, even more often than not, just demoing the whole thing and starting from the ground up. And then after just seven days, uh, they bring the family back where they discover this extreme home makeover tour bus parked in front of what used to be their home. And from there, everybody shouts in unison. And if you know this, don't you dare leave me hanging doing this by myself. They shout in unison, move that bus. Y'all, good crowd this morning. I appreciate that. Um, And so as the bus is moved, the new home is revealed, and uh, even more so, the shot uh, camera shoots right back to the family to see their response and their reaction of overwhelm to the gift uh, that is in front of them. And uh, uh, at that scene, I'm going to be... I'm just going to be real transparent, real honest with you this morning, and this is not something I tend to do with, uh, you know, cinema or TV shows or anything like this, but at that show, at that moment, I have a couple of times shed just a little bit of a tear (laughs) because it's extreme. You know, if it was just, you know, a show where people went in and like fixed the plumbing problem and that was, I mean, that would be boring. That would that'd be dumb. Um, but it's extreme and, and, and it's extreme reality for these families and their situations. Um, but I'd say this, as extreme uh, as that is, and this is what I believe that, you know, as, as great and as positive really as that show is uh, in the light of so much TV that's not so positive, uh, I believe here in this context, God wants to do something even more extreme. That God wants to do uh, even more in our homes where paint and new furniture and new appliances, frankly, could never go. That God wants to extremely make over our lives and the most important relationships within our lives, namely our homes and our families and our marriages. Um, And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. We're going to look at this series called Extreme Home Makeover to see how God wants to do more than just you know, fix a leaky faucet or slap some new paint on a wall, but really extremely make over the way in which we approach our life's relationships, whether single, married, or have kids, or whatever you, wherever you're at, regardless, uh, that he wants to extremely make over those because God's ways are, we could say, extremely different than the way in which the world approaches relationships. In fact, you could say it this way, that when it comes to our life's most important relationships, there's an extreme difference between what we might call good advice and good news. You see, good advice and bad advice, you can find just about anywhere. But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God that consequently wants to then inform all of our life's relationships in a pretty extreme way. And so to help us with that, to see how God wants to do that, we're going to be looking at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew where we're going to be looking at some, um, some words from Jesus and he's going to give us some instruction on how we can uh, understand the extreme way in which God wants to approach, uh, specifically today, our marriage. And uh, as you turn there, uh, you might be thinking, I'm just going to put this Bible down. Maybe if you're single today and you're looking to use the restroom, only never to return. Because it's like, oh, great. 
a whole series perfectly designed not for me. Uh, but uh, let me encourage you, um, one, with a story of uh, a long-standing member of our, our church, a lady, if you're, if you're a long-timer, you know uh, the name Mary Moosh. Uh, she was single her whole life, and uh, upon uh, getting close to what she, I guess, suspected would be her funeral, she wanted to make sure she had all arrangements in order, so she met with Pastor Wayne uh, to make those arrangements, and, and she said this to him, uh, again, a single lady her whole life, she said, I want you to insure me that there will be no male pallbearers at my funeral. To which Wayne said, okay, uh, maybe fill me in as to why uh, this is. She said, if I wasn't good enough to be taken out when I was alive, they sure <laughs> as heck aren't taking me out when I'm dead. And so, if that's your context today, uh, if, you're, if you're a single person, an unmarried person uh, among us, let me encourage you uh, that this series is absolutely just as much for you, and that uh, for one reason, A, and this might be among the more obvious, you might hope to be uh, married or have a family one day, to which this is great preparation for that. Uh, but then secondly, if, if not married, and candidly, um, you're kind of with Mary Moosh on this, you have no intention of being so, well, then you know better than any that relationships in your life, that community in your life is essential to a healthy life for you. In fact, really, that is Jesus' intent of the church, a place and a context for relationships with other people that encourage our ultimate relationship with God as our common denominator. In fact, throughout Scripture, even when we see as we take passages that talk about marriage and family, very often they are actually a reflection where Paul or someone else is actually talking about what the church is supposed to look like, what relationships in general. It's like, this is how relationships work. Oh, by the way, you should apply this uh, to married life. And so this is going to apply and have transferable principles to us all throughout this series. And then thirdly, remind, uh, I'm reminded that we as a church, uh, that we are a home. That we are a family together. That's what Peter says. He says we are a spiritual home being built up. Jesus, uh, in one setting, some guys, some folks come to him and said, hey, Jesus, your, your family, you're talking about his nuclear family, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. To which Jesus spins it to make it a teaching moment, as Jesus so uh, often does. And he says, who are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters? He says, those who do the will of my father, the church essentially, those are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Um, and then later, the Apostle Paul, who, just like Jesus, also a single man, says in Galatians 6 that we as a church, we are brothers and sisters, and we carry or we bear one another's burdens, and in the same way, we fulfill the law of Christ. And so as we embark in this series, we recognize that the state of marriage, the state of the family in our country, in our community, uh, and, and frankly, not just out there somewhere, but also within our own pews, whether today or with all uh, seasons of life we've all faced, uh, marriage or family or situation that's been in a, you could say, a burdensome, to quote Galatians, a burdensome place. And so we as a church, we as a home, we as a family together, brothers and sisters, we, we bear one another's burdens together, which means if one of us has a burden, well, that means we all have a burden. We share that burden together um, as a church. And so... Uh, when it comes to this topic, let's look uh, again at the one whom we follow, Jesus Christ, what he has to say, uh, again, as we look more specifically today, at today's topic of marriage. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 19 of Matthew, and if you've turned there already, um, 
You'll see, uh, depending on which Bible you have or translations, you may see a, a, a header on that section that says divorce. Uh, now, these headers in, this, in the Bible, they were added many years later. They're not actually part of the Bible, but used as an organizational tool to help us find topics that the Bible addresses in a more uh, easy way. Um, and let me just say why I understand why they put that there, because it's addressed in this particular text. Um, in my opinion, it's a lousy title. It's a lousy title because really, as we're going to discover, the topic that Jesus is addressing really isn't that of divorce, even though it's mentioned, but really the point of this passage is, more positively speaking, marriage. Jesus is talking about marriage. And so let's see how um, this unfolds. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 1. I invite you to read and to follow with me. It says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And so you see in those first two verses, you know, Jesus is going about his ministry, traveling, preaching, teaching, and healing. When in the midst of this ministry, verse 3, some Pharisees, these would be the religious leaders of the day, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, let me just make sure you recognize here that the point here, uh, as you can see here, is not to necessarily cover the topic of divorce or marriage, but really the point that the Pharisees are trying to accomplish here is to, quote, test him, to test Jesus. But Jesus engages, recognizing, yes, they want to try to trap him, uh, and they want to trap him by bringing up a sticky and tough topic, namely the topic of divorce. And so Jesus engages, uh, and really, as we're going to see, he's going to turn the topic and say, okay, you want to trap me with divorce, but I really want to talk about marriage. And so verse 4, he says, well, haven't you read, he replied, um, which of course they would have, that at the beginning, uh, so the beginning being the creation itself, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, from the very beginning, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so what we see here in verses four through six is Jesus is quoting the original, God's original and lasting design for marriage from creation, establish a creation itself. That its original design was for one man and one woman that once joined together was intended to last a lifetime. Now, a brief sidebar. Uh, when it comes to, you could say, hot topics that, uh, are, that trap Christians. Uh, here recently, the issues of the Supreme Court decision to, regarding uh, the legalization of gay marriage, um, you know, we, we recognize that literally 10 days ago, the definition of marriage in our country uh, has shifted from what we see here laid out in Scripture. Um, and so we have that before us, but more so, we'll say that the issue that really is before us in this room is those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. How do we um, understand this? How do we process this? And, and, and most importantly, how do then we have the responsibility, how do we respond to all of this uh, as followers of Jesus Christ? And so to that end, next week, actually, Pastor Wayne is going to spend some time uh, with us, just giving us, you could say, some handles as, as to how we can process and respond uh, all that is shifting in our country in this way. And so that's going to be uh, next week. Uh, but 
really in a similar way, uh, the topic that the Pharisees are stirring up really is not designed to cover the topic, but to test him. And so you could say in many ways, we too are in a, in a test of how we are going to respond. And so this is how Jesus responds to that sticky topic uh, of divorce. He says, or I should say, the, the Pharisees push back on Jesus and they say, you know, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Well, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Meaning, the divorce regulations uh, that Moses, uh, it, you know, inserted were uh, through God were a concession, you could say, to deal with the result of sin, and not an expression of the way that God really intended things to be of which Jesus gives us an example of one of these concessions in verse 9, saying, well, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. In other words, there are occasions where divorce might be necessary, but it could never be good. Uh, The principle that two become one flesh really can only be fulfilled fully by an unbroken marriage. And so in verse 10, the disciples, I think, appropriately say, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus replied, really almost agreeing with them, hey, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. You know, the disciples and Jesus recognizing here, hey, marriage is hard, hard work. And to those who step into marriage, best be prepared for the work. And then lastly, verse 12 Uh, Jesus speaks to all the single ladies, all the single ladies, um, (laughs) and the single men, as you're going to see here in a minute. So we're quoting both Beyonce and Jesus in church, which (laughs) I find helpful. Uh, So verse 12, he says, uh, for those who are not married, for those who are single, uh, for there are eunuchs. And um, a eunuch, by definition, was essentially a man without parts that a man would otherwise have. Uh, so for there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Bummer dude. <laughs> and let's move on, folks. <laughs> and there are those who choose. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says the one who can accept this state of singleness, essentially, should accept it. And so Jesus is saying, for those who, again, who are currently unmarried, whether you're not engaging in a marriage relationship activity by literal physical limitations, or to choose to live as if you were a eunuch, as if you were unable, with this point in mind, that whether you are single for a reason or single for a season, that however long you are in that state, to embrace where you are at, to embrace your singleness. And to do so, and again, in an extreme way that God would encourage, you know, the world's way says, you know, don't, you know, don't get married because that way you don't have to be tied down to any one man or one woman and you can kind of do what you want to do. But Jesus says, no, an extreme understanding of singleness from my perspective as a follower of me is to live as if you were a eunuch, to live celibately, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus chose. That's what the apostle Paul chose. And he says, the one who can accept this should accept it. 
recognizing there are those opportunities when you're not tied, you could say, to a family or marriage that you can more freely give yourself to ministry as a single person. So a lot going on in these 12 verses. Um, it would be hard for us not to agree with that. But what we want to do today specifically is extract uh, the leadings that Jesus is giving, uh, again, those of us who are married and single today, uh, as to what we would do to live our lives as followers of him in an extreme way, uh, his way, rather than uh, the way of the world. And so Reflecting on that passage, taking a deeper look at how we can do that. Uh, more specifically, you could say, yes, as single people, but as two people, don't live as two people who just are in a contract together to, to do married life, but as Jesus says, as becoming one. What does it look like for us to, um, to become one and to fight for our marriage uh, and, and work together for our marriage? First and number one thing that Jesus points us to, uh, it actually transcends the topic that we're looking at today, and that is to number one, seek Jesus himself. That the first and foremost thing we must do is to seek Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 6, uh, several chapters prior to this interaction, Jesus says in a teaching that if you seek first my kingdom, seek first my kingdom, then all the other concerns, whether married or single or family life, all these other details and the worries that come with that will be added to you, he says as well, that these things will come into play when you seek first me and my kingdom. In fact, in another setting, uh, someone just asked Jesus straight up, you know, what is the most important thing in our lives? You know, he asked it this way. He said, what is the greatest commandment of all? Essentially, what is the most important things when it comes to all the important things that we face in our life? And Jesus gives him an answer. He replies in Matthew 22 saying, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And another section says with all your strength, that this is the first and the greatest commandment. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor, to love others as yourself. That all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You could say, in other words, but with all this talk, and you've probably heard it said this way, about finding, quote, the one, you know, that when you find the one, you'll know. Um, in actuality, what Jesus is saying, that when it comes to the one in your life, there is only one, the one, and that is Jesus Christ. That even within the context of marriage, the greatest commandment of your marriage is not to love your spouse with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but to, number one, love God in that way. That you make, actually, God the one. That God is your number one, and that technically your spouse then falls into that number two category of loving others out of the overflow of the love that God has within you as you love him first. And so... Again, if, uh, if you're not married today, I would encourage you to start today. Seek God as your number one. Seek him as enough that he alone is everything you need and see as he adds the details of life from there. Uh, or again, if you're married and happy or married and miserable, um, still seek God number one because the reality is uh, not the Hollywood lines, you know, you know, you complete me. I think that was Jerry Maguire. You complete me. Uh, you know, the reality is, listen, no human relationship no human on the planet will ever, ever complete you. No one who is your spouse now, no one you wish would be your spouse in the future. Uh, in fact, it is that lie, the idea that someone else might complete us, that frankly starts and undercuts a healthy relationship from the very start because we set that person up to be what they can never be and only what God can be. And that is uh, our number one, that God alone can be our, our one um, that fulfills. And then out of the overflow of that, we can then love our second. 
And so um, some ideas for you in this, um, again, seek God as an individual, but I would say if you're married today, I want to encourage you with just some practical ways in which you can seek God together as one. Um, First, uh, many of you are doing that right now. You are in worship together with your spouse. That's awesome. Continue to make that uh, a priority, uh, not just you know, when you're able every other week, but make it a weekly rhythm that you're going to worship God together in church each week um, or together in, in worship each week. Secondly, I would encourage you, uh, read God's word together. Now, I'm not saying you have to have like a book club together and actually read it out loud, but what you might try is um, just maybe having the same Bible reading plan, like whatever you guys are, just do that together because uh, we know already from our marriages that, you know, you can watch a show or follow a show or watch a, a great film and, and it can spark great conversation because you're rallying around that same content. Well, well, how much better would it be for our marriages to be rallying around the same content in God's word and having conversations about that? So that's an idea for you. Thirdly, I would ask, when do you pray together? Uh, when do you pray together? And if you're thinking, oh man, that's, that's just too much for me at this point, I would say most of us are comfortable enough to at least pray before a meal, um, to thank God for the meal that's in front of us. Uh, but why not take a little bit of extra time to also, in that context, pray for your marriage, pray for your family. Uh, your food won't get that cold. It'll be all right. It's a, good, it's a better thing what you're doing. And so you can pray uh, at that time together. Uh, fourth, I would encourage you to together Get engaged with a grow together small group. Uh, other Christian couples that are, um, again, the common denominator is Jesus Christ. As we have a relationship together, it encourages our ultimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and then one other way is to, again, literally serve together, together. Uh, that you all can serve uh, arm in arm together in some sort of context of ministry using your gifts and talents um, for what God's doing here on the planet uh, through those gifts and talents. So, those are just some simple ways that you can begin to take some step towards seeking Jesus, uh, again, as two of you have now become one. Uh, because, again, God wants to be, again, more than just good advice. But he wants you to enter into the good news of relationship, an active relationship with him as your number one that then informs your number two relationships, whether marriage or other relationships in your life. Okay? So that's number one. Seek Jesus. Secondly, uh, what Jesus is leading us here in this passage is to, secondly, pursue purity. Actively pursue purity in your life and in your marriage. Um, this is fascinating to me. I never really noticed this until studying it this past week, that even though Jesus is shifting from the topic of divorce to turning it to, hey, let's talk about the goal of what marriage is, it's, it's almost like he can't help but illuminate this one caveat, this one by the way when it comes to uh, really our ability to pursue God's design for marriage. Um, you see it in verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And that phrase, sexual immorality, uh, in some translations will say marital unfaithfulness and depending on the interpretation, could include other matters such as abandonment, uh, abuse, and, and the like. But make no mistake, the point that Jesus is most trying to make uh, in this setting is that of marital unfaithfulness through sexual immorality and adultery. Um, now, you've got to wonder, okay, so why this sidebar? Why this by the way for Jesus? Why this, this caveat, this disclaimer to, okay, when it comes to married life and divorce? Well, because frankly, 
sexual immorality will have spouses exploring the possibility of divorce more quickly than any other single factor that we face in our marriages. Because sexual immorality, adultery, is essentially when you do married people stuff with someone you are not married to. And the reason that undercuts our marriages is because we, contrary to the world's understanding that sex is just physical, um, that, that blind and misdirected understanding that sex is not just physical, it's spiritual. It's something designed by God. Again, we're two become one flesh. That's not an accidental overtone, sexual overtone in scripture. That is the understanding of what's happening both in sex and marriage. Uh, again, as designed by God and why sex is a good thing when within the context of that marriage relationship. Um, which I, to me, I just find incredible that it's the one act within scripture that in one context, great, in another context, wrong. Uh, it's not like that for anything else. I mean, lying, stealing, gossip, uh, always bad, always sin. But when it comes to sex with your spouse, that's good. But sex with anyone who is not your spouse, either outside of marriage or before marriage, is sin. And so why does God set it up this way? Does he, does he just want to steal your fun? No. It's because, and I believe we know this at the bottom of the way in which God created us, that this is what's best for our lives, that God wants what's best uh, for the purity of our singleness, the purity of our now or eventual marriage. And so stay pure. Stay pure, not just by not committing physical adultery, but by actively and relentlessly pursuing uh, purity in an extreme way, because that's what Jesus recognizes must be done. Uh, earlier, Matthew 5, 28, Jesus talking about this topic, he says, don't even look at someone lustfully because it leads to you already have committing adultery with that person in your heart. And then the Apostle Paul, knowing just how slippery of a slope this is, declares in Ephesians 5.3 that among you, followers of Jesus, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because this is improper for God's holy people. And the word hint there, hint is the key word because impurity, it's like poison. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, even just a little bit of poison is too much poison. Uh, a hint. I don't want even a hint of poison in my body. We don't want even a hint of poison of immorality in our marriage. And so to help us get real with this, uh, I want to read to you uh, a little bit of an excerpt. It's actually a quiz, you could say, uh, from a book I read while on vacation uh, called From This Day Forward by Craig and Amy Groeschel. Uh, many of us have done Craig Groeschel's uh, small group studies, and we actually partnered with Craig Groeschel's church in some tornado relief down in Oklahoma a number of years ago. Uh, but, but great book, and just one of actually several resources that we have uh, set up at the Mosaic Cafe specifically to take what we're talking about in the weekends uh, further in your life. So you might check that out. But um, he has this little pop quiz, which does require group participation. So I'm going to need to uh, get a yes or no from you. And so what's going to happen, he says, is we're going to give you a scenario, and you decide whether you think it qualifies as, quote, a hint of sexual immorality, yes or no. And answer honestly, but don't get too smug. The level of difficulty increases and might get hit closer to home as we proceed. So we ready? Okay, all right. You're like, I don't want to play this game. This sounds awful. Okay, too bad. All right, 
Scenario one, you're married and you have sex with someone who's not your spouse at your office. Hint of sexual immorality, yes or no? The answer is yes. One for one. Okay, you're married and you have sex with the handsome guy who cleans your pool. Just to make this one a little more fair, let's say he has six-pack abs and he doesn't wear a shirt. Hint of sexual immorality, yes or no? Yes. He says, I tried to throw you a bone there with the, uh, the abs thing, but the answer is still yes. All right. Let's say you look at a website called Hot Chicks Gone Wild. Hint of sexual immorality, yes or no? Okay. He says, unless it's a site devoted only to fried poultry recipes, <laughs> then it's still a yes. All right. You secretly lust after Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt or women on the reruns of Baywatch or that boy toy from One Direction or all of the above. Hint of sexual immorality, yes or no? He said that would be a yes on all accounts. Let's say you dress fashionably in tight-fitting, low-cut clothes. You can call it, quote, stylish or, quote, sexy if you want to, but you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you even try to claim that you're just showing off what God, or the plastic surgeon, gave you. <laughs> Still, what do you say? Dressing provocatively. Hint of sexual immorality, yes or no? Um, yes, because you're causing, not just, you're causing others to stumble, yeah. All right. Uh, a couple more. What about if you're away on a business trip without your spouse and you go out and do a little flirty, not even dirty, but dancing and your clothes stay on and, and nobody hops up on any tabletops or anything like that. It's just that you enjoy dancing, maybe getting noticed a little bit. Plus, it's good exercise. Hint of sexual immorality. Yes or no? Yes. I see you guys are calming down a little bit. <laughs> Yes, if you want to exercise, wear some baggy sweatpants and go for a run. You are putting you and others in a tempting place, and that's simply not wise. And then lastly, you hear about some hot new book that everybody else you know is reading. Say, Fifty Shades of Whatever. <laughs> or maybe your neighborhood group, uh, book group is reading it. What do you think? Should you read it too? Would that be a hint of sexual Immorality? Fifty shades of yes. Absolutely. Now he goes on with this one. He says, let me tell you why I think that's sexual immorality. Maybe you tried to justify it, thinking it could spice up your marriage or something. But that's all it is. Justifying. You know the truth. It's mommy porn. You wouldn't want your husband watching something like that, would you? Of course not. And why not? Because it's poison. It's poison in your marriage. And God's economy, thankfully, doesn't have 50 shades of gray. There's only black and white. There's right and wrong. And if that sounds old-fashioned or extreme, I'm sorry. Just remember to think of it this way. You don't want poison in your marriage, not even just a hint.
And so we need to get real. We need to get serious about avoiding sexual immorality, even a hint by relentlessly pursuing purity in a culture and a society that is in no way setting us up to win in this way. We have to take extreme makeover measures in our lives as individuals and as couples to do whatever it takes to turn the ship on this, depending on where you stand. And I know in a room this size, in a history, I mean, it's extreme. It's extreme, but it's worth it because we don't want even a hint. And so that's what we got to do. We got to start off, number one, seek Jesus. Now the overflow of that strength, we can then pursue purity as individuals and uh, again, as, as one in our marriages. And then thirdly, uh, and lastly, um, when it comes to being married, Jesus encourages you, if you're married today, don't give up. Never give up. Um, and I want to say this to those who are on the other side of a marriage that, that did not make it. Uh, please know there is plenty of mercy and grace uh, for you and for that situation. And we're going to come back to that here in a moment. But let me just take a moment to spot, just talk to those who are, are married today. Whether first marriage, second marriage, if you are married today, wherever you're at from this day, let me encourage you with Jesus' encouragement, stay one. Because that's what's happened. Two have become one. It's uh, the understanding that uh, really you could, um, I point to Andy Stanley uh, of North Point Community Church. Uh, you might be from, again, someone else who've done his small group studies. And uh, to his credit, to be able to speak on this subject, uh, says um, as really he's the son of a very high-profile divorce uh, between his mother uh, and his father, Charles Stanley. He's a really well-known radio preacher. Um, but living through that, he sums it up this way. He says, when it comes to marriage, you just can't simply unwind what God made one. You just can't simply unwind what God made one. Uh, there will be pain, there will be, it, it will be difficult. And those of you who've walked that road know that better, uh, better than anyone. And so, and I know you would encourage people, as hard as marriage can be, divorce is as, if not harder at times. And so uh, we share in this encouragement um, to, to, to not give up in your marriage. And I came across a story that, um, that really illustrates what we're after here. Uh, story from history. April 21st, 1512, Spanish, Spanish General Hernando Cortes uh, sailed and landed at Veracruz, Mexico uh, to battle uh, the Aztec, Cuban, and Mayan warriors for Mexican land. And as he landed uh, in Mexico, his first order to his men were, quote, burn the ships. Burn the ships. And what he meant was burn their own ships. His first order was for his men to burn their own ships. Now, why would he do this? Well, because retreat then was not an option for Cortes. His conviction and his decision to, to burn those ships eliminated the option to give up. And thus, with no choice but to persevere, eventually, Mexico was theirs. And so for you and for me and for us, we need, to, we need to burn the ships. And like Jesus, we need to turn the topic from being able to go there in those fights, to go to the topic of retreat, escape, of divorce. And we need to just burn the ships. And we need to commit resolutely, because this is extreme. It's extreme what God wants to do in our marriages, to keep our marriages together, to live out that vow that we said, you know, I spouse, take you other spouse, to, you know, to have and to hold from this day forward. That from this day forward, um, and I'll say, let's just move that to today. 
with, you know, regardless of what this past year has been for you and your marriage, maybe this past week, maybe regardless of what the drive to church was for you in your marriage. From this day forward, July 5th, 2015, let's let God extremely make over the way in which we are approaching our marriage by number one, being extreme and seeking him first. That's extreme in our culture to seek God first and understand that our marriage then comes naturally in a healthy way. Second, it's extreme in our culture to pursue purity at all costs and it's extreme uh, to never give up in our marriages. And so again, not in our own strength, but by the grace of God, um, we would from this day forward move in that. Um, I pray for us all. And as we do, before I pray for that, I want to, um, actually we're going to seal our time. I want to say close. I want to seal our time uh, this morning with communion. And if you're serving communion, uh, we'd invite you to go prepare for that. And we're very intentionally in, in doing it this way because with all this talk, you know, this morning, as, you know, as much as God's way, uh, we obviously believe is the best way for our lives um, to pursue purity and seek him and, and, and all of this. Um, we recognize that prior to this day forward, there isn't one among us that doesn't have, you could say, a regret list. Uh, something that we, you know, maybe we didn't seek Jesus first in a way that we wished we had in years and days prior to this day. There uh, are seasons where maybe we didn't pursue purity uh, in a way that um, we wish we had prior to this day. There are seasons where, um, for, for many of us, where uh, we are on the other side of a marriage that didn't make it. And, and, and I just wanted to ensure that we would seal our time reminding you of what the Christian faith is really all about. That as we go, the Christian faith is not about how right we can get it, but to be reminded that the through line of the Christian faith is that the one, Jesus Christ, who went before us, made us right even amidst all of our wrongs. And so we are reminded, and Jesus wanted to make sure we never forget that through communion. He said uh, with his original disciples and then for us, that this bread is my body broken for you and this cup is my blood poured out for you and to remember my sacrifice, to eat and to drink and to remember my sacrifice that enables forgiveness, grace and mercy that covers everything that didn't go the way we had hoped it would go up until this day. And frankly, even the things that won't go the way we hope and plan and want them to from this day forward. But again, we move forward in his grace alone, which is made possible by his sacrifice. And so uh, I invite you to pray with me as we remember that reality uh, above all. Father, we thank you most of all for our number one, for Jesus Christ, who sacrificed um, his body and his blood uh, so that we could live in the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness that the, the stuff of the days gone by are completely wiped clean, washed whiter than snow, uh, as far as the east is from the west, cast to the bottom of the sea, all words from your word. And so we thank you for that reality um, that we are able to then move forward in your grace and your mercy that is the definition of why we're here. And so may we remember appropriately as we eat and we drink together. We ask this in Jesus' name.